Hi, everyone. Welcome to Me, You, and Who. On today's episode, we are speaking with Dr. Daniel Scora. He is a physician at Fertility Specialists of Texas, and he serves as the medical director of the third party and LGBTQ plus services. Um, it was a fantastic conversation. We talk a lot about what it looks like for a clinic to be inclusive of the LGBTQ community. Um, and it, he is just a wealth of knowledge uh, for those that are taking part um, on their fertility journey. Um, he is a new dad himself. He has sweet little twin boys with his husband. And so um, it was fun to hear him talk about those sweet boys um, and hear his experience, not only, of course, as a reproductive endocrinologist, but also um, as a new dad. So please enjoy Dr. Daniel Scora. Me, you, and who? Who knew it would take more than two people to have a baby? In a world where infertility is no longer a taboo topic, this podcast will take you through all the different aspects of surrogacy and egg donation through the lens of many who walk this journey in different ways. My name is Whitney Hall, and I am a two-time surrogate, now turned surrogacy coordinator for Egg Donor and Surrogate Solutions, the very agency I used when I chose to carry for two amazing families. With this podcast, it is our goal to help guide and support you as you learn about what it takes to grow a family in an alternative way, as well as hear inspiring and beautiful stories of how this path has changed lives forever. We can't wait for you to hear about just one more way happy families are created every day. Well, thank you again for taking the time. I don't, you know, I know, my gosh, you're a new dad. You just finished work. Like you have so much happening in your life. So um, I really do appreciate you doing this. Um, thank you so, so, so much. Yeah. I apologize in advance if you hear babies crying in the background. But, oh, but... never apologize. Never, never, never. This is like, this is life. This is what we all are working towards, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So what led you to doing just, you know, infertility as your specialization in the first place how did all of that get started yeah well it's a longer story so in medical school I was one of those people who really loved everything yeah I changed what I wanted to be like five times and then <laughs> eventually I took I did my OB rotation at the end of my third year I fell in love with it I loved the variety of stuff um that I was able to do um and you know then I did residency, um, and when residency, I did my infertility rotation. I did do a fertility rotation in medical school as well, in a way rotation sure. in fertility, and I enjoyed it. But then in residency, I really got more into it, and I really love the patient population. Mm -hmm. um, I always say, like you know, that most people are kind of afraid of the fertility population because they are <laughs> very goal-directed, driven people generally. But I love that actually. I like feeling yeah. like I'm on a team with my patients rather than often in medicine you're working against or contrary to what your patient wants or wants mm -hmm. to do right and mm -hmm. in fertility it's really teamwork you're really working together to get to a common goal and you really feel that in fertility as well so yeah. um, i think that's the main reason why I, I chose fertility no that's fantastic that's fantastic so Obviously, you know, Fertility Specialist of Texas or FST as we, you know, because IVF, of course, has to have every acronym in the world. Um, 
what you you guys were all at the forefront of you know just welcoming lgbtq i plus patients and you know just things like that so what questions do you kind of encourage patients to ask a clinic if maybe they are not you know lucky enough to have an fst around them um you know what would you encourage them to ask you know their clinic or their physicians um when they are looking for kind of that inclusive yeah, that, that is a great question, you know, and there's even within the Dallas Fort Worth area, there are what, like 15 clinics or something like sure. something crazy like that. Uh -huh. And I always tell I always tell my LGBT friends inside, outside of the Metroplex, I tell them, you know, every LGBTQ person pretty much has to utilize fertility services. Sure. So if you are researching fertility clinics and you go on their website and there is not an aspect of their website that is not devoted to LGBTQIA plus care, that's a red flag, right? Because mm. they are not orienting themselves to a huge part of the market. I'm not even talking about inclusivity. I'm talking about just money. We're talking a base level here. They sure. Have money, they should be adver advertising to the LGBTQ plus <laughs> community. From a higher level, obviously, you also want to find a clinic that's super inclusive as well, right? Yeah. And so the more of that there is, the more likely you are going to encounter an inclusive environment. If you nowadays go to the clinic's website and there is mm -hmm. literally nothing about LGBTQ care, nothing about reciprocal IVF, nothing about egg donor or egg sperm, nothing about surrogacy, nothing, yeah. that is an indicator. That indicates to you that they do not either care about that part of the population or do not cater to that part of the population. Now, mm. that could just be, you know, it's a one-off clinic with one doctor and they don't have a huge infrastructure available to create that website. But in the mm. majority of places, that's not it. It's that they don't, they're not interested in that kind of care. Because okay. Either A, because of moral beliefs, either or B, it does require, especially when you're talking about egg donors and surrogates and things like that, it requires a lot of infrastructure that a lot of smaller clinics just don't have, right? Yeah. And so I really, one of the reasons I chose my clinic was that it already was very involved in LGBTQ care. We're one of the two bigger clinics in Dallas-Fort Worth that are really heavily invested in the LGBTQ community, et cetera. And, um, you know, that was something that really attracted me to my clinic. When I was sure. Younger. And when was that established with FST? Uh, so FST is 17 years old now. Okay. And uh, our our um, our founding uh, partner, Dr. Goldstein, he's been involved with um, LGBTQ stuff for a very, very long time. Um, mm. Well before I got there, he's been involved with men having babies, was on the board of that before I joined the practice, et cetera. And that was something sure. that was really you know, attractive to me as someone who was coming in, who knew that they really wanted to be involved in the community. Yeah. and do that kind of work to have kind of those that that groundwork is already set it made it a lot yeah. easier for me to really be able to flourish rather than having to build it myself no for sure that makes a ton of sense so website is a huge indicator and then let's say okay we have a website yeah it looks like there's something going on what would be another indicator as you're just walking into the practice yeah you know it's, this is a touchy subject because even my clinic is not 100% great at this. Some parts okay. of the country are some some parts of the country are much better about kind of all the forms having you know non-identifying pronouns and non mm. kind of non-specific partner one partner two stuff. Sure, and, you know, we're 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 moving towards that, but it does require a lot of infrastructure change to get that kind of stuff. But I think just being sensitive to the fact that you might not be in a heterosexual relationship. 
from the get-go, when you talk to the, to the new patient scheduler on the phone, when you come into the office, that you just feel that where you are, it's not something abnormal. It's not an abnormal place. You don't feel yeah. out of place. They don't, yeah. they're not shocked to see a female couple or a male couple. You know, it's a feeling that you would get right away. Even when you talk on the phone with the new patient scheduler, if they're confused about the situation, they don't understand mm. it. They haven't been primed for the situation, which is not good. It shouldn't be something that's the first time, right? It should be something that's sure. all the time. I see so many same-sex couples <laughs> every month, right? And it and it and it's just something that is constant. It's also biased, obviously. I'm a gay provider, and that is, you know, and that they come to me for that specifically. Uh-huh. But you also have to, you know, teach your staff as well. You know, we have over 100 employees in our office. And we do monthly meetings where we, um, where the doctors give talks about different medical topics. And I talk about LGBTQ care, about inclusion, about all of that stuff, because I want to make sure, because often in these clinics, there's a small group of people that do a majority of the LGBTQ care. They do the third party, right. which is, you know, egg donors, surrogates, and all that kind of stuff. Sure. It's a smaller group of people within the practice, right? And so some right. people may never hear about surrogacy. They may never really know anything much about egg donors in the context of not a woman who's 45 using an egg donor, right? So right. Um, I think it's really important that we talk and we and we just want people to feel like they're they're wanted there, that they're accepted, and that it's not an abnormal situation. No, absolutely. That makes a ton of sense. So definitely, you know, just paperwork, things like that. Um, is there... I, what would you say are maybe like some additional barriers that people in the community, in the LGBTQ community might experience either when they're choosing a clinic or really just as they're going on their fertility journey? Some, a lot of some clinics will require marriage um, before treatment, which can be an issue. Uh, not as much anymore as it used to be. Um, sure. I have done with um, some same-sex female couples. There are, depending what state you're in, there could be um, alternate legal things that need to happen in terms of adopting the baby after one is carried and born, et cetera. Um, sure. That's state-to-state dependent. Um, yes, of course. What else? Um, and some places just, they don't want to, and I'm, this is horrible to say, some places just don't want to treat LGBTQ patients, and that's, you know, mm-hmm. is a terrible thing yeah. to say, but better to know that up front than to be giving your money to an organization that doesn't believe that you should either be married or that you should be able to have children. No, for sure, for sure. And then do you, and you, you would hope to find out about that prior to even exchange of money because you've done all of this research, uh, looking experiencing, calling, et cetera. Um, No, that's that. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. So, okay. You are, as you said, you're a member of the LGBTQ community um, and you're a new dad to twins. I have twins myself. So welcome to the twin club. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So you've experienced, obviously you experienced, you know, your fertility doctor. So you've gone through it from that side and now you've experienced, you know, the whole situation as a patient. And I know I'm sure it was quite unique because you do work for the clinic. Um, But like, what about your journey to fatherhood, do you wish maybe just all intended parents could have experienced, especially those um, part of the LGBTQ community? Well, I just think everyone should be able to. Yes, obviously, as a provider in this space, it was much easier in every aspect for me to get everything moving, (laughs) moving forward, financial, all the things. It was just a lot easier and faster. Like we started 
in February of 22, and the babies were just born in April of 23, which is a very, very fast situation compared to most <laughs> journeys for two men. So yeah. um, on average, it's more like two years generally. Um, but, uh, you know, I think I, I learned a lot as a doctor, as a person going through it with my husband, mostly like my relationship with my husband and like sure. teaching teaching him along the way. And making sure he understood what was going on, but not too much. You know, I, <laughs> there, was, there was one point she, our surrogate was 28 weeks pregnant. She had some preterm contractions. And in my mind, I'm like losing my mind. I'm freaking out about a 28 sure. weeks babies. And <laughs> I'm trying to keep it cool for him because, you know, I've seen that before. I know what that means. And he hasn't. Mm -hmm. He doesn't really know what that means. And not trying to like be like, okay, you need to be at the hospital with me just in case. And not trying to freak him out so much the way I am in my head, you know? Of so. course, of course. Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. That makes a ton of sense. So was there anything, um, you know, just about your experience, again, you know, that was unique to your clinic experience that you would, you know, just, obviously, of course, every clinic has their own style. Every RE has their own yeah. style. Is there anything that maybe you would, or just a piece of advice, you know, to, you know, the professionals maybe starting out or maybe working, building that third party program more that maybe you would say, um, you know, would be helpful to them. You know, I was, we were very lucky. Our whole yeah. process was super smooth. They're really, I always tell people, my male couples, especially, there's going to be a hiccup along the way. There's going to be a speed bump of some kind. Some are yeah. larger than others, right? But we really, didn't have any. So we were very, very lucky along the entire mm -hmm. way. We were really happy about that. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, you know, in terms of professionals who are interested in really getting it more into the space and providing that um, environment for patients, I do really believe that you have to devote time and investment into the into into this because mm. it takes people these are not especially surrogacy cases they are not simple cases there's a lot mm -hmm. of moving parts and you have to invest in people to learn how to do it or if they don't already do it often i would recommend hiring someone who has experience at least to lay the groundwork for you in your department sure. That they can they can train people to be your third party coordinators etc but you need someone who knows fda all of that kind of stuff because it is complicated and you can really get in trouble with the FDA if you don't do it properly. Mm, yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. So what would be, you said, you know, just hiring a, you know, obviously someone who's, who's part of that would be another resource that would be helpful. Um, I would say conferences that are yeah. this kind of um, practice, you know, there's an egg donor conference or seeds, um, even going to a Men Having Babies conference to meet people and learn about the process. Probably all of those conferences, you would learn a lot. You would extend your network, et cetera, um, so that you are developing best practices for as you move forward. No, for sure. That makes a ton of sense. How would you feel, you know, from an agency perspective, how do you feel like an agency, you know, like, like ours, Donor and Surrogate Solutions, how do you feel like we could be, you know, that a helpful resource um, and just supportive of, you know, especially our intended parents, but also, you know, maybe a gestational carrier, um, you know, or egg donor that um, is part of the community. You know, when you're doing this work, you find the agencies that are good. <laughs> there, there are a lot of egg donor agencies and a lot of service agencies around the country, and they're essentially unregulated. Okay. So, 
as a result of that, there are really good ones and there are really ones that don't do a lot. They do very, very few cases, they're new maybe, or they just don't have high volume. And as a result of that, it's just a very different experience working with them. And, sure. you know, and as a clinic, you will, or you learn which ones are willing to work with you and help you, right? When we have um, an egg donor with your agency and there's an issue with them being able to get monitoring, et cetera, some egg donor agencies are just like, that's your job to figure that out. And others are really involved and make sure everything gets done. We get the reports, et cetera. Luckily, you guys were are like that, you know, <laughs> but sometimes we're, we're, we're in the breeze trying to figure it out, but an, an, an egg donor agency really should be coordinating all that stuff, right? Because that's what they're being paid to do, right? Versus right. if you use an internal egg donor with an, with an eight, with, um, a, um, with a clinic we're you're paying us to do that stuff. For you, yeah. Right? So, um, you know, it's really, you will learn as you create your program, as you work more and more in the space, which places are going to help you in which places are just out to make money. Right. And, yeah. and, and so, you know, I always find that I tell, I tell my intended parents over and over again, like, I don't care what clinic you end up with. I want you to be with me, but that doesn't, you know, in the end, all I want is for you to have a baby. That is my number one goal. And this is, these are the things that places that I know will get you that to that goal. Right. And so, um, other places I can't say if they're going to, right. So, Mm, sure, sure. No, that makes a ton of sense. So really what I'm hearing you say is, you know, as much involvement as possible, of course, which we definitely, you know, of course, take that on. Is there anything unique? I mean, we just do that across the board, but is there any unique thing that you feel as though would be, I guess, extra support or, you know, for those that are, you know, in a same sex relationship or single person that happens to be, you know, LGBT or just anything like that, that would be helpful really maybe for all third parties, whether it be a psychologist, an attorney, agency. No, I think just offering, offering those support services and resources to those people, right? Like it's, it takes a village to make this happen. And, you know, and I, personally don't have the time to be doing a therapy session with every intended parent, right? <laughs> but that is an important thing. And I realize that's an important thing, which is why we, we support and we give resources to give those intended parents those resources to speak to people yeah. if they desire to. And I think it's, it's about giving those resources. You know, I tell my intended parents when they come to see me the first time, you know, most of my intended parents use our internal egg donors because it's less expensive, right? But here are five you know, egg donor agencies um, that we work with routinely because sometimes you're not going to find what you want or if you want something very specific. I mean, it sounds like with every aspect of it, it really is just finding those best resources and the research that's involved, especially in finding those that are supportive of the community. Um, you know, and that's just across the board. So, and that's fantastic yeah. that your clinic provides those resources. And it sounds like that's really just one of the biggest, you know, things that other clinics could do um, to be supportive, especially to those in um, the LGBTQ community, for sure. Is it's, not there... just, it's not just about, you know, providing resources. It's also being a supporter of the community, yeah. right? We march in the pride parade, we exhibit in the pride parade, we give money to men having babies, like, we give money to different organizations involved in LGBTQ causes, mm. free services, et cetera, right? So it's about being a supporter of the community, not just a, a leech of the community, too, right? Because they're it, it's oh, very I love that. It's obvious to see when someone is not, you know, necess when someone wants to 
is doing this for the wrong reasons, right? And so yeah. uh, I think obviously having kids of my own and being a member of the community gives me a little bit of street cred, which is is good, but it's, you know, <laughs> I hope that people realize I was doing it for that reason beforehand as well, you know? No, for sure. Well, and that kind of brings me, you know, I feel like every Pride, you know, every time Pride Month comes around, you see, you know, all kinds of different, whether it be, you know, a big box store or, yeah. you know, whatever, like everything turns rainbow. Um, yeah. And I think it's really important to maybe do that, make that extra call, do that extra research, you know, is it, do they just have, you know, the the little rainbow on their website in June or, you know, what what more is happening? What does that support look like? So you said, you know, one way is you your clinic not only, of course, supports by doing what you do, which is creating families, but you also support the LGBTQ community. Yes, all year, not just at the beginning, not just in June, all year. And, you know, obviously there's more opportunities to do things in June. Sure. Uh, but uh, <laughs> that are more visible, but all year long you're doing that and thinking about it and, and being involved in organizations that really help the community throughout the year. Yeah. 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 No, that's huge. That's huge. Well, I don't want to take up, you know, too much more of your time because I know you have those sweet little babies uh, to get back to and you're getting phone calls and, you know, all kinds of things. But, um, you know, and we've talked a lot about just the different aspects of this, but um, is there anything that you feel like we missed or that you feel like others should hear when it, you know, just comes to supporting, advocating, and working with the LGBTQ plus patients? I think, you know, I think the patient population is very is very specific, but also very diverse, right? And so you need mm -hmm. to be have an open mind to that diversity as well, and go at it, go into those conversations, you know, with an open heart. That's really what it is, right? And and, yeah. and accept them for where they are and what they what their goals are, and try to make those goals a reality if they are possible, right? And so. Mm -hmm. We are a wealth of information and knowledge that we can give to our patients, but they also are teaching us along the way as well. And I think it's really important that you take those lessons and incorporate them into your everyday practice. Sure. Yeah. No, absolutely. Do you have something like just off the top of your head how that how you've done that personally? Whether, well, you know, whether it's a physician or uh I I wouldn't say necessarily personally, but you know. I've been seeing more trans patients in the last couple of years than I did beforehand. Mm, mm -hmm. And the uh, unique aspects of trans care, um, not necessarily care, but, you know, but, but of, of dealing with couples with, you know, who are one of the partners is trans or both are trans and, and talking about pronouns and, mm -hmm. and putting alerts in your chart so that the people in your office know, because, you know, I've lived all over the country, but there are people in my office who have never met a trans person before, right? And sure. so, or have never interacted with one. And so just normalizing that for everyone and making sure that everyone is on the same page and moving forward, we want to be a center where, where people of any background, any sexual orientation feel completely comfortable coming and they don't feel like they're out of place. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. That's so fantastic. Okay. 
I have one final question for you. It's a fun one. Okay. okay. Um, for anyone that knows me and, you know, my poor colleagues, they see me all the time on a meeting and I always have my cup of coffee. So what filled your cup this morning? <laughs> this Literally morning. or figuratively, it can be silly or it can be sweet. Um, but yeah, what filled your cup this morning? Literally black coffee. I drink black coffee with a little stevia. That's every morning. Gorgeous. Um, figuratively holding my babies before I go to work. Filled my cup. So. Oh, the sweet little guys. How old are they now? Six weeks today. <gasps> yeah. Oh my gosh, they're so fresh and new. They are. Oh and I felt God. so sad I had to go back to work after two weeks. Um, but I still have my cuddle times with them, so it's good. That's good cuddle times. Okay, well, we'll let you get to your cuddle times um, as much as you, you absolutely can. So thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really, really super appreciate you. Um, no, and thank you pleasure. just Yeah, thank you so much for just the wealth of knowledge that you are. Um, so if, there, if people wanted to research FST specifically, yeah. where would they go? FertilityTexas.com. FertilityTexas.com. Yeah. Okay, You perfect. can follow me on Instagram at uh, Dr. Scora Fertility as well. DR doctor. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Well, thank you, Dr. Scora. I really, really appreciate you. And you right, have a, you. yeah. And give those little boys some cuddles for me. <laughs> have, a good, have a good day. Thank you. You as well. Bye. All right. Bye. You have just finished listening to an episode of me, you, and who to find out more about egg donor and surrogate solutions, go to www.createahappyfamily.com.